Welcome to Mayor Talks, a podcast about responsible investing. Mayor Capital is regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom. The investment services of Mayor are only available to professional clients and eligible counterparties for the purposes of the FCA's rules. Past performance does not predict future results and the capital value of investments and income generated can fluctuate. This week's episode features highlights from a recent webinar presented by Aziz. Hosted by Allocator.com, the webinar, titled Value is Dead, Long Live Value, is available in full on Allocator.com for registrants. The topic considered the relative underperformance of value versus growth over the past decade, what some of the reasons for this could be, and how investors might change their approach to adapt to a changing economy. The first issue is to address whether value's historic advantage was real or a statistical anomaly. Over to Aziz. Why is the value premium or factor debt? Or is it really? Now, there are three basically main explanations that have been advanced. The first one is, listen, this factor never really existed. Academics have found it, uh, but it was really just data mining. And it was just, it worked over that period and it was just randomness and you would have found something else. Now, the problem with with this explanation is that the empirical evidence leading up to it is actually very supportive of its existence, which is why even people who believe in, uh, like Fama, who are basically champions of uh, the efficient market hypothesis, have come up with that value factor explanation. So this the evidence for it over many years and across geographies is just too overwhelming to dismiss purely as a statistical illusion. So I don't think that's what's happened. I don't think it never existed. The other explanation is that, listen, it may have existed over many years, but everyone knows Warren Buffett now. Everyone has heard about value outperforming over long periods of time. It's just become a crowded trade. And, and that's why it no longer works, like many other things happen in the market when everyone gets into the same idea. And if you look at fund flows and the data from it, it just does not support actually this being the case because funds have actually flown out of value, not into value, and they have actually flown into growth. So it doesn't make sense that it's a crowded trade when it's, when it's actually become less popular by market participants and you can actually see that we talked earlier about the uh, the value revaluation effect the, the, the relative valuation of value to growth has actually substantially expanded and we'll get into that a little bit later but it's substantially expanded over the past decade or so where actually growth has become a lot more expensive relative to value compared to their historical relationship and the third explanation is listen Maybe the economy has changed, and that is why value doesn't work anymore. And I think this third one is the far more likely to be the main reason, and that either value has a strategy or the people who follow it maybe have just not evolved with, with the world. Now, let's, let's dig a bit deeper into that idea. As this end highlights the way the economy has changed over the last 30 years. So this is the list of the top, or the logos at least, of the top five companies in the S&P 500 from 1991 and in 2020. And 
If you look closely at the names, you can see a very stark change between the Exxon's G's of the world and Walmart's and the Microsoft's, Google's, and Facebook's of the world. Now, this is very important. And the reason it's very important is that I think there's been a really important change in how companies make money. Azizen highlights the difference in the investment policies of companies of the past compared to those who lead the economy today. That looks at the difference in how much companies spend on intangible assets versus tangible assets in every year. And if you go back to 1977 and you look at how much companies spent on tangible assets like factories and equipment and buildings, you can see that they've spent 1.7x more money every year on tangible assets compared to intangible assets like intellectual property, brands, and so forth. Fast forward to 2017, and you can see the ratio has changed. And in fact, if you look at the data that I have here from 2021, the Russell 3000, which is the widest index in the U.S., companies in that index spent $1.8 trillion in 2021 on intangible assets. So why does this matter? The reason this is important is comes down to accounting. So let's look at how companies actually account for this intangible asset spending because we all know how they actually account for the capital expenditure. It's not on the P&L statement. It goes through the cash flow statement and then they depreciate the asset over the life of that assets, 10, 20, 30 years or so. Now, this is a really, really interesting paper. And what they did is they took at companies SGNA, so basically the bulk of their operating expenses, and they've split those numbers into four components, investments uh, in, within uh, SGNA, maintenance, which is going to be ongoing running of the business, R&D, and advertising. And what you can see, again, a very, very obvious change kind of since 2000 is this huge expansion of the share of that amount that is investment. Let me go through this as a hypothetical example. So you've got two companies. Company A and Company B. Now, Company A spends $100 on tangible assets. A factory, whatever. It runs, the net asset value, value doesn't actually change when they do that. So the money was in their bank account, is on the asset side of their balance sheet. It moves to property and equipment, which is also on the asset side of the balance sheet the net asset value or the book value does not change when they buy a factory or a piece of equipment. And in the first year after that, their income is hit by in the case, let's say it's a factory that's depreciated over 20 years. It's hit by a $5 depreciation charge because uh, of that factory that they bought. Compare that to company B, which spends the exact same amount on an intangible asset. Now, this company, net assets are reduced 
by a full $100 on that first day. Leaves cash, it gets expense or reduces shareholders' equity or the book value by the whole $100. And because it's expense, net income for that company in that first year is also lower by $100. So we've got two companies that have spent the same amount of money just buying different kinds of investments. And one of them is treated in a way that substantially reduces book value, makes it a lot lower than the other one, and also substantially reduces net income in that year. So what's the impact for value investors? Causes the definition of value, at least for value investors, but also when you use an index to be inaccurate relative to what it should be uh, in, in, in my opinion. Aziz then goes on to outline what he terms the death of accounting. And the reason I think it's the death of accounting is that accounting basically has not kept up with the time. When you have the top five companies in the S&P 500 changing dramatically how they invest and how what assets they put their money into in order to generate their income, and yet the accounting has not kept up with that dramatic change. What that also means is that traditional valuation methods like price earnings and price to book just do not work anymore. So what happens when you rerun the numbers under this new paradigm? It creates two indices, one that invests in tangibles and one that doesn't, instead of actually looking at what we want to do, which is which one is cheaper and which one is more expensive. Let's reclassify the whole market and, uh, and by first capitalizing these intangible uh, investments and then amortizing them over time in the same way we depreciate physical assets for capital expenditures. And then let's go and rerun the same experiment that looks at high market to book and low market to book and see what the performance looks like. So basically, if you capitalize companies that spend a lot of money on intangibles, just like in my example, you'll end up with companies that have a higher book value than what gap accounting will show and a higher profit than what gap accounting will show. And once they did that, something dramatic happened. A lot of companies that were in the growth bucket actually moved into the value bucket. And a lot of companies that were in the value bucket actually moved into the growth bucket. And you can see in the blue line what the performance of that value strategy adjusted to growth looks like over time. And you can see that for many, many years into the 80s, it's pretty much the same again, didn't matter. And then you see that diverges and it goes bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually, value continues to outperform if you adjust the numbers this way. Well, I think that summarizes the crux of the argument that Aziz made during that webinar. As a reminder, it can be found on allocator.com. You will have to register to access the full, full webinar. Any questions, please contact us at Maya. Until then, goodbye.